Francisco, the fire is not here directly. We're breathing the fire smoke. I hate fire season. They hate it even more in the counties that are suffering right now from the fires that come every fire season, but every fire season it gets worse and worse. Every fire season is the worst fire season we've ever had. And not coincidentally, every summer is the hottest summer we've ever had. And it was 130 degrees in Death Valley, the appropriately named Death Valley, yesterday. Perhaps a record. Is it a record for the earth? It's pretty close anyway. And we know that over in the Middle East, we've had similar and in India, we've had similar temperatures hitting around there because of global warming, climate change caused by human activity, greenhouse effect, burning carbon fuels that's been killing our planet. One of the many things that we're on the brink and must take every effort to change, must change it. It's no longer if or question. We must, if we do not change it, the earth is dead. Civilization is gonna die. And those of us who have children and grandchildren are not gonna have a plan. They're already rightly angry at their elders for destroying their planet, for leaving them with a legacy of pain and dissolution and death and destruction, refugees, climate refugees, spurred ahead by the greed of the 1%. the massive inequality where the earth's resources already scarce are misused and misappropriated
the earth destroyed by those who are motivated by greed. The country of America using 25% of the earth's energy and resources for 4% of the earth's population. At the same time right now, 25% of the earth's COVID-19 fatalities for 4% of the population. And we've got my first caller here. So let me pick this up and introduce you to my first caller. And if I am not mistaken, this should be Michael Author, a transformational sorcerer, if I am not mistaken. <laughs> you are not mistaken. This is novel. Hey, Richard. Hey, Michael. A pleasure to hear you on the phone line and to share this conversation with my live audience and later with my podcast audience, as um, great or probably small as they may be. So I think you'll be interested in when the last time I called into a radio show was. Yes, I am interested. So I used to listen when I was approximately, say maybe 10, 11 years old, to Republican talk radio. Oh, well, I hope you called and gave them hell. <laughs> no. You were a Republican. Was, you're going to tell me you're a Republican. <laughs> I, was, I was a 10 or 11-year-old Republican. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, you said your grandparents raised you? No, my parents, oh, you, that's how oh, my parents raised That's me. how they raised you. I'm sorry, I was too busy uh, laughing in uh, sad laughter to hear that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so that, it was entertaining. I will say it was entertaining. It was this uh, blowhard guy who, <laughs> he, he would just constantly go off topic and talk about his family. And occasionally, maybe he would talk about politics, but uh -huh. that wasn't the point. Oh, interesting, interesting. Uh, yeah, they are an unfortunate and despicable breed, those right-wing talk show hosts. Yeah, it's. Um, I remember even back then, it felt as if the purpose of the show was to spread fear and mistrust. Oh, and did you catch that even as an 11-year-old listener? No, I was caught up in it. I was completely caught up in it. I, um, you know, I heard Rush Limbaugh talking yeah. about the feminazis yes. and and heard about all of these people destroying the country, uh -huh. and I was like, those damn liberals. Right, you ate it up. You you're yeah. just you ate it up like a lot of their listeners do. Yeah, it was it was high drama. For yeah, sure. and many of their listeners are on about that intellectual level that you're at as an eleven or twelve year old child. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, and of course, at that level, hey, the, the, the angry big daddy on the radio, hey, that's, that's, they're saying what's true, right? That's, that's what you absorb. Yeah. It's like, uh, I, I believe that the human mind has a tendency, um, at least the way that it's been raised in our society maybe it's not a human tendency but it certainly was most people's tendency in this culture is to seek comfort safety and security in certainty yes yeah um people want to be comfortable and secure and they would like to be certain and that's also maybe you know that's the basis of a lot of organized religion that's what popped into my head when you said that also and it's also why our society is going absolutely insane right now, because that's the one thing that's actually not available to anyone anymore. That's right. 
Yeah, that's right. It's really hard for us to live with uncertainty. Yeah. Even though perhaps that's the nature of life at a certain level. It absolutely is. Uh, at least I believe so. Uh, I, I, it's apparent. Constant is change. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what? Yeah. And yet, yeah. our whole culture uh, and the way we built Western civilization is by, uh, in, in many ways, mitigating that truth. You know, mm -hmm. we have mm -hmm. uh, insurance to protect you from just about every sort of potential disaster. <laughs> well, if we you have, have it, you know, if you can afford it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and the, in the old paradigm, right, we had the job that you worked at for, you know, for 40 or 50 years until you got old enough to retire and then you had a pension. Yeah, I, re I remember those days um, because I'm older than I look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, and, but that and that conditioning for desiring that that level of certainty is not so easy to extricate, especially in people who are um, admittedly old-fashioned. Well, some of those uncertainties have just been popped wide open in this current crisis, where people thought that they had a certainty that they had health insurance through their employer, but then all of a sudden, boom! Oh, what do you know? Now I don't have an employer. And that means I no longer have this wonderful insurance that I thought was assuring me. Mm -hmm. yep. Now that that's popped wide open, and that's that's part of the the unease, which in many ways is being channeled. We will hope towards activism that will lead to positive change. Okay, so yeah, that's one thing I wanted to, I, you know, I'm a newcomer on your show, Richard, I know you personally uh, and have mm -hmm. for some time, but I, and I've watched, I think, one or two episodes of your show, I, yeah. I'm sorry to admit. Well, I'm thanks for that. Thank time. you for watching any, you know, I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, so, what do you typically think like is the, is the solution to be burn it down no is activism effective I, I don't think the purpose for me the purpose of activism is not to burn it all down um there is a lot and this is something i'll be talking about with my second guest today who is a um community uh level socially conscious activist about her experience with the fact that a lot of the mechanisms that we have actually do work and have worked. Um, you know, we don't have to burn down the whole system. There, there are a lot of bases on this system that are actually pretty good. And some of them are the best that humans have come up with. Uh, we have not come up with a better system than representative democracy. The, one of the main problems that I see with representative democracy here is how intertwined it has become with, and not become, okay, how intertwined it has perhaps always been with capitalism. Yeah. And capitalism is a very flawed basis for running a society. And this has become more and more apparent over the years because that flaw is hidden when there is always some new resource to exploit. And yes. so eternal growth, as long as you can have eternal growth, it looks like capitalism is working. But when you start to touch up against the edge 
of the potential for further growth, economic growth specifically, that's when it starts to fall apart and that's what's happening. That's what's becoming very apparent now. That's what we call is uh, late, that's what we call late stage capitalism, right? Because it's, uh, it's clear that it's not sustainable, but these are the ways we're trying to stop it up and keep it working, at least in, for a while. Well, I mean, the ones who are making the money off of it are trying to prop it up. And it just so happens that to a large extent, money is power. So they are largely successful in doing that. And yeah. So uh, what's next and how are we going to get there? Oh, well, oh, I mean, huh, I thought I was interviewing you, but if you want to interview me. <laughs> no, no, no. I, um, so I've been, uh, I, I asked that question almost jokingly. Um, so I think that the, the thing that I've been really interested in is following this clear, um, you know, from this, where it all really was like, oh, this is just not going to work at all. To me, that moment where I had that awakening was back around the Citizens United time. Yeah. Uh, do you remember that decision? I was like, oh, yes. When you say this isn't going to work, what do you mean? Capitalism, democracy, yeah. Yeah, the, capitalism. The, Capitalism. Yes. Um, I'm like, oh, okay. Well, capitalism and our and our democracy, like the 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 mechanisms of business and the state have been become far too intertwined to actually serve the good of the people. So, what's next? Right. And I've seen uh, some emerging trends that look that seem really promising. And yes. In particular, uh, trustless governance. Um, have you uh, been following much about what's been going on in the blockchain? Um, not much, so I'm glad that okay. if, what you can clue me in on. So, um, one of the biggest issues with, uh, with the way that our representative democracy and, and political systems and financial systems are implemented is with a lack of... Um, universality, a lack of uh, parity, yes. and um, that what actually is going on is not represented in uh, the numbers necessarily or even brought to light. Mm -hmm. And so it's very easy to hide um, a lot of the inequities that, are, that, that occur. Yeah, uh, until, until they're all blown wide open like they are right now. Exactly. Um, and, you know, so... Uh, what's happening in the in the blockchain technology that I find very interesting is that uh, we're actually, and we are on the verge of this, going to be able to entirely replace banks. Um, banks will become utterly obsolete. And as of right now, we have functioning smart contract systems that um, allow individuals in a decentralized manner to uh, to lend money and to um, store money in a way that generates interest on a trustless decentralized network. Uh, what do you mean by trustless decentralized network? So, um, in uh, one of the one of the main things surrounding uh, the financial system is that um, banks rely on trust. If they don't trust you, they will not lend to you. Right, right? or if they don't like you. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. So what a smart contract does is it is a cryptographically um, secure uh, protocol, so that it's impossible. Um, you, if you meet, if you meet the requirements for the uh, for the system, you will be able to engage with it, and no one's going to be able to hack it or 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 fuck with it. So basically, you can send money using send money or anything else in a completely borderless fashion um, without using any state or national currency. It basically becomes a secure transfer of value. Wow, um, that's pretty that, awesome. Uh, that allows and it also allows people to create financial based and non financial based uh, applications that can be um, uh, used as completely like replacements for things. Like we can completely replace the concept of a you know like a traditional home loan. Yeah, um, using it very using these systems very quickly, and mm -hmm. on top of that. It provides um, ways that we can actually create smart cities where resources will automatically be distributed where they need to be distributed mm -hmm. um, without anyone who has a you know say racial bias making mm -hmm. those making those decisions. Yeah, that's that's um, very interesting. Um, I one thought that occurs to me there is you know. If you take out the human input, I worry a little bit about that uh, because sometimes I think that human judgment is beneficial. Um, you know, that's that's why we have human judges in the courts, and that's one of the reasons that say mandatory minimums, which take away the judge's discretion and cause more people to be um, imprisoned for longer, is not beneficial because that human judgment when properly used and when that judge has not been, you know, nominated by the Federalist Society, but under Trump, um, that that judge can actually use their judgment to say, you know, normally this crime is 10 to 20 years, but there are some mitigating circumstances here and this person doesn't deserve to go away for that long. So, you know, let's put them in a diversion program or something else. Yeah, absolutely. I think if we start having uh, artificial intelligence make legal decisions, we're going to end up in a utopian society pretty quickly. And when you say utopian, most utopian societies are actually dystopian. Yeah, I meant dystopian society. Oh, okay. I well, I mean, it's almost the same because almost any time you try to create a utopian society, it becomes dystopian. I mean, that's that's like um, that the one of the famous utopian books um, by, uh, which one is it? I mean, name one, name one that comes to mind. Uh, what was uh, the one where they, where they take, where they take Epic Soma, Man. where the, the, the population is given Soma, um, to, oh, to you're talking uh, about brave new world, that. brave new world. Yeah, brave new so world, that's, that, that's a dystopian, um, society, but it was portrayed by those who created it as being a utopian society. And um, a lot of people in it believing it was in a utopian society. Yes, yes. So that's why I was just saying, hey, you know, that's kind of the same thing. But I mean, it's it's also um, it's also a little bit. It, it, it's very prescient because it's descriptive, kind of, of the uh, intellectual caste system that yes uh, has been created as a result. Mm -hmm. um, in many ways, of our economic model. 
Right, right. And and the economic model sort of in conjunction with the caste system that traditionally in this country had race as a major and race being a completely artificial concept. But but once it was artificially conceived, it was used as one of the arbiters of who is allowed to succeed and not in this society. And the legacy of that is still with us because people who are whiter are more successful in our society as, you know, statistically. Well, I mean, I think a lot of it, yeah, has has to do with bias, just structural bias. Structural. uh, As well as as well as controlling um, who has access to resources. Yes. You know? mm-hmm. People who have, who have access to fewer resources, whether those be financial resources or social resources or what have you, must focus more of their energy on creating those resources by, um, by mm-hmm. working and mm-hmm. not to actually taking actions which will advance them. Right? In some yeah. in some capacity, or increase that earning potential. It's like you yeah. stay in survival, and because you're constantly in survival, you feel like you can't even fucking get ahead. And that's, that's right. By design, it is by design. It makes you easier to control too, because you don't have the time to resist. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Um, yeah. And in particular, if we're talking about. I mean, this is kind of, we're kind of going all over the place. Here. Yeah, well, that's what I do now. <laughs> that's what I do. If we're, talking, if we're talking about don't have the capability to resist, um, it's also uh, like when you do resist, you have so much more to lose. Um, you know, it's why so many, uh, if you look at a lot of, when I was in anarchist circles, you know, when I run with, ran with all the anarchists, all the people like throwing bricks or harassing cops or whatever, they're always the, they're always the white kids. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Michael, I'm sorry. <laughs> Someone is knocking on my door. This is the problem with home, but we, would you mind just tell it well, for one minute, telling our audience something useful while I walk over and tell the person at the door that I'm doing a show? Yeah, okay, sure. Thanks. Um, let's see something useful. Uh, a penguin has a gland in its neck that converts salt water to fresh water. Bing. Wow, cool. I didn't hear that, but I think it was useful. Yeah, I think it's very useful. Awesome, man. Oh, take that oh, and use it tonight. oh, wait, I caught, I caught the end, converting salt water to fresh water, which is something we really need to do in this world where fresh water is, is more and more um, a... Uh, a resource that is um, not available to so many people. They're scarce. Yeah. All right. So I apologize for that uh, interruption. This is what what happens when we are all doing our things from home uh, during this uh, COVID uh, isolation period. Yeah. I've been seeing a bunch of people on my Facebook feed posting about this film, Plandemic. Oh, God, yes. Oh, man. What a calumny that is. So that means I should not watch it. Hey, I mean, (laughs) you know, if you watch it, I'm not going to tell you not to watch it, but, and and because you are a reasonable fact-based person who (laughs) is not going to be 
swayed past a point of huge cognitive dissonance and um, to believe a bunch of lies that are given to you in such a sure tone and such a um, tone of strong emotion that it bypasses your reason to go straight to your lizard brain. Um, if you can resist that, then you can perhaps just appreciate the marvel of the level of manipulation that these people have achieved. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess maybe now I have to watch it. I, well, I, as I, long as you can stand it, you know, I, I just, that's one of those things like watching Donald Trump. It's like, I can't do it. Like it just disgusts me uh, and angers me to a point that I just don't even want to deal with it. But, um, you know, if you can stand it, it's, and I have confidence that you're not going to turn around because unfortunately I know people who are otherwise reasonable people who just fell for that hook, line, and sinker. And it's straight up misinformation and disinformation. And it does tie in to the ultimate agenda of the right wing and the people who are supporting Donald Trump, QAnon, etc. Yeah. Well, the, the, if I could do like make any one shift in the world uh, and in people's consciousness, I would have people ask before they put anything out in the world, before they say anything, before they they act, um, is simply to ask themselves. Is what I'm going to say right now coming from fear or is it coming from love? And mm -hmm. if the answer is it's coming from fear, then maybe take a look at that. Right. But what these people are doing is they are purposely using fear. They know yes. that it's coming from fear and they want it to come from fear. Why? Because baffling to me. Because fear allows you to manipulate people. Fear goes straight to the lizard brain and allows people who don't have enough defenses against it to be manipulated. And fear, that is why Trump wants to sow hatred and fear. These are emotions that go straight to the lizard brain and go past the reason, reasoning and can disable those compassionate impulses that are the better side of humanity. What, you know... Uh, yeah, so I'm actually I'm actually really struggling with this because I I'm doing my best to understand what people actually get out of this behavior, out of intentional manipulation and fear mongering. Well, you said right at the beginning that people want certainty in their lives. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that they get. They feel certain. Mm -hmm. They feel certain, and they also want belonging. So now. They belong. And then some of us are rebels. And this plays into that. You know, I'm a rebel, you're a rebel. But that that doesn't mean we're going to rebel against actual things that are true. You know. No, that, I mean, not for long. Um, we're not, <laughs> sometimes, I, sometimes I hear things that are true and I'm like, no! But, yeah, yeah. Right. But, yeah, we're not going to rebel against love. You know? no. <laughs> and 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 they 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 trick you into going that far into where they start by rebelling against masks or rebelling against you know vaccines and these are already uh tropes that are untrue 
but some people believe it and then they think they're being wise rebels to rebel against it and then they take you along from there and they lead you to the next thing to rebel against you're hey you don't believe in masks and vaccines well how about this conspiracy theater theory that's tied in too and then they take you one step further one step further until the next thing you know you're like trump is the one to save us from child abuse you know oh my god you know so it's it's so crazy it's some deep psychological shit like as yeah. if, as if we need more reasons to be angry and mistrustful of each other yeah no totally but but that's that's what helps the control structures and especially right wing control structures to engage in further control Hey, Michael, you know, I knew, I knew that 25 minutes was going to be nowhere near long enough to talk to you. And, but here we are coming up on 25 minutes. First half of my show ends in 30 seconds. And I'm going to have to ask you to please come back on the show again. And let's talk, talk some more. All right, Richard, I'd love to. Okay. Thank you so much, Michael. You too, man. All right. Bye now. And this concludes the first half of the show. Please stay tuned right here 